What do you do for people who seem to want to take advantage of you? You're walking down the street and, and somebody comes up to you and asks for money. Uh, you're pretty sure that they had been an alcoholic at one point, and, and so you, you, you think you have an idea of what they want that money for. What do you do? Or you have a friend that is notorious for letting you down. Uh, you've taken the initiative to reach out to them numerous times and, and try to befriend them, but they, they haven't reciprocated. Uh, in fact, they've stood you up more times than you can count. But now they, they, come, they come to you finally and they say uh, they want to do something. Uh, very likely in, in cases like this, and, and even more that you can maybe imagine, uh, you'd be willing to, to shame them, to, to let them suffer uh, for what they've, what they've done. Or what about, what do you do if your spouse cheated on you? And you know it. And they did it again and again. And each time they, they come back to you and, and they say that they're sorry and they repent, including the most recent time, what do you do? I don't want to answer these questions so much today, uh, but I want to say that this last instance especially was something that Hosea really had to struggle with. Hosea is a man that you might not know much about. In fact, the, the book of Hosea only comes up one time in our whole lectionary, our, our yearly series of readings. The basic premise of the book of Hosea is that God tells the prophet Hosea to, to take a woman who is known to be a serial prostitute to be his wife. Her name was Gomer. And I would guess that, that Hosea is probably like, ah, are you, are you serious? She's not going to be faithful to me. Not only will I be looked down on for having her as a wife, but, but our kids are going to be looked down by society uh, for having their mom be a prostitute. And God actually says this very thing. He says, go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. The Bible doesn't mince words. God knows that Gomer isn't just a past prostitute, but she's a woman who will continue to be unfaithful, and so their kids will be looked down by society as children of harlotry. And not only will Hosea have to put up with her unfaithfulness, he will even have to rescue her at one point from slavery. He will have to buy her back because she sold herself because of her prostitution. He'll have to, at one point, cover up her nakedness, and he has to keep her from being stoned uh, to death as the punishment uh, for that sort of thing by the law. Why in the world would God tell the prophet Hosea to take such an unfaithful woman to be his wife? Hosea is a prophet. He's probably the most upright man in the whole nation. Why would God want him to marry Gomer? A prophet, by the way, is someone who, who has lived before the time of Christ and, and who proclaims a message, who prophesies, who, who points forward to Jesus. That's important. So listen to how God talks to the people to whom Isaiah was supposed to prophesy to. God says, I will punish her, that's Israel, I will punish Israel for the days with the Baals 
on which she repeatedly offered incense to them. She adorned herself with her rings and her jewelry, and then she chased after her lovers, and she forgot me, declares the Lord. In other words, Israel, the nation, had joined herself to other gods, the Baals, in worship. Israel was unfaithful to God, to the true God. And so, so much so that God compares Israel's unfaithfulness and idolatry to a prostitute's adultery. And Gomer was to be a living picture of Israel's unfaithfulness. It's this context that our text for today was written and comes from. And it can be translated in two ways. The first is exactly how our text reads and how I read it earlier. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. The second is this, and it seems to be uh, to fit better in context. Shall I ransom them from the power of the grave? Shall I redeem them from death? Death, where are your plagues? Grave, where is your destruction? This is God's wrath towards unfaithful Israel. God doesn't put up with Israel's sin. He doesn't just say, ah, oh, well, it's okay. It's not really that big of a deal. You can, you can sleep with whomever you want, whenever you want. You can kill someone. At least you're not as bad as, as somebody like Hitler. You can dishonor your parents a little bit. It's all right if you never read my word or, or take my name in vain or, or put your wants and, and, and desires above me. It's all right if you continually make other gods, including yourself, instead of worshiping me. No, God is serious about sin. He's saying, where are the plagues of death? This is what someone who breaks even one of my commandments deserves. They should be killed along with their children. Where is the sting of death? Let this pain go on full to whomever is unfaithful to me. Our God is a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the fathers and the mothers. A God who threatens to punish all who transgress His commandments. So again, why in the world would God call Hosea to marry a prostitute? Hosea didn't do anything wrong, at least like this. If God simply wanted to make a statement as to how unfaithful Israel was in his wrath towards her, he could have done it in, in other ways. Why use faithful Hosea and make him suffer? Because just as God was using Gomer as a picture of unfaithful Israel, God is using Hosea to be a picture of Christ, the perfect husband. Again, a prophet is someone who points forward to Jesus. <clears throat> Christ is called the bridegroom many times throughout Scripture. And Christ, <clears throat> excuse me, seeks a bride. He seeks us. And we were known to be serial sinners, known for our repeated unfaithfulness and our self-idolization. And yet Christ takes us. He takes us to be his bride. He takes, us, he takes us with our sin and he covers our sin. 
As Hosea took his own cloak off and covered his bride, who defiled herself by her sin, Christ covers us by taking his righteousness and placing it on us in our baptism. Christ, as the groom, doesn't hold his bride's sins over her as leverage, like we often want to do. Remember that one time you, you, you said this or did that stupid thing? Remember when you did this or thought that? No matter what awful things we do, no matter how often we don't reciprocate God's love, no matter how many times we stand God up, no matter how many times we are unfaithful, Christ is faithful. God doesn't shame us even though we deserve it. I said earlier that our text from Hosea can be translated in two ways. In context, it's a rebuke. It's God's wrath. It's law. But it can also be translated as gospel, just as we heard it read earlier. It's God saying what he will do for unfaithful Israel. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Death, where are your plagues? Grave, where is your destruction? The reason it's translated as it is, as gospel, is because this is how St. Paul translates it. In the great resurrection chapter of 1 Corinthians 15, St. Paul writes of the result of Christ's faithfulness, of his fulfillment of the law and his defeat of death. St. Paul writes this, Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We read these lines in Hosea backwards. We read them through the lens of Jesus. We read them not from the wrath of God, but from Christ. The meaning of the words hasn't changed. Paul is taking the call of the law, and he answers it with Jesus. The words still mean that our sins have merited the wrath of God, that he will not hold back. But instead of punishing us for our sin and unfaithfulness with the sting of death, God punishes his son Jesus with the sting of death. Jesus becomes the child of harlotry, and we become innocent. Jesus does something in death that we could never do. Jesus, because he was innocent, broke death. Jesus fulfilled the law because death is the punishment of the wicked. And so he broke death. The fiercest weapon that the devil uses, death, Christ uses against him. Christ himself is the plague of death. Christ himself is the destruction of the grave. And God does not have compassion on death. Christ defeats our foe with no other weapons than his word. 
with no other armor than his body, Christ goes to battle for us. He bears all of the arrows of Satan as our bridegroom defending his bride, allowing each arrow of Satan to penetrate him. And just when the devil thinks he's won by killing the Son of God, Jesus rises from the dead and proclaims his victory. And that victory is now passed on to you and me and all the faithful in Christ. Christ has power over death, treating it as nothing more than a little fever. This unfathomable love of Jesus is something that we should aspire to, especially husbands. If someone lets us down, if, if our spouse hurts us, we, we should seek to forgive. But we should never think that this is something that we can do, as if we too are, are guiltless. Ultimately, we too are unfaithful. So we need a God who isn't. We need a God who is faithful. We need Christ to cover our sin and our shame. We need Christ to keep us from being, being put to everlasting death, stoned by the arrows of Satan. And this is exactly what Jesus does. Christ shames death. The sting of death has been done away. Our foe is overcome. Death is swallowed up in victory. Thanks be to God. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.